0: Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. Eric Dean here of Mile High Sports. This show is presented by Superbook Sports. It is Sunday, February 25th, and it's been about a week since I've recorded, and I kind of want to go over what has been a very frustrating week for the Colorado Avalanche. And I say frustrating not just because they're losing. We saw a lot of that on the road trip, but it's because after a couple straight victories for them you know they they beat the Arizona Coyotes 4 to 3 in what was actually a pretty hard-fought game between the both sides and then they absolutely school the best team in the Western Conference the Vancouver Canucks well they follow that up with two losses that very much easily it could have been a four-game winning streak for the Avalanche instead it's a 2-1-1 one in one week, starting with those two wins I just referenced, followed by an overtime loss to the Detroit Red Wings that was very reminiscent of a game that happened 17 days earlier against the New York Rangers, where the Avalanche took a 1-0 lead early, held on to it until the last eight minutes of regulation. As the game went on, so too did the Avalanche's control of the game, and it was slipping away. We saw the Red Wings tie it up roughly with eight minutes left, just like the New York Rangers did in regulation, before winning it in overtime in front of their home crowd. Two overtime losses for the Avalanche uh, here in the month of February that probably could have been wins and shutouts, both for Eustace Ananen and for Alexander Georgiev against the Rangers on February 5th. So that was Detroit, which I'm obviously going to— get into a little bit of these games uh, here in just a moment after recapping the entire week. And then they follow that up with a game against the Maple Leafs where the Avalanche were the better team. The Avalanche had the better player, uh, the better games, they had the more scoring chances, they had the higher danger opportunities, and they still come away with a very frustrating loss. In all situations, the Avalanche had a 37 to 18 advantage in scoring chances. They should have beat the Leafs. Instead, three to three late in regulation, Miko Rantanen takes a very irresponsible penalty, shooting the puck over the Um, glass—an unforced error, if I may. Just, just a boneheaded mistake by Miko, and he knows it. The coach knows it. The whole team knows it. Against a power play that has been operating at more than fifty percent over the last month—again, over fifty percent—when the Avalanche scored that power play goal against the Leafs, just for reference. When they scored that power play goal against the Leafs early in regulation, it was their third power play goal on 30 opportunities. The Maple Leafs are operating at more than 50%. The Avalanche are operating at 50%. They're probably winning a lot more games in this month than they have. So Miko takes that penalty. Tyler Bertuzzi scores his 10th of the season, third of the game, completing the hat trick at Ball Arena. A lot of fans from the Leafs contingent throwing hats on the ice. Tyler Bertuzzi, who was... Struggling to find his fit with the Leafs, suddenly has been playing better as of late and caps it off with a hat trick against the Avs in Denver, and the Avs lose that game. So I want to kind of get into a couple things. First thing I'm going to do is kind of break down these games a little bit deeper, and I'm going to start with that game in Detroit on the 22nd. You know, I many of you guys know this, obviously, but me being from Detroit, that is a game I don't miss. Uh, that's the one game circled on my calendar every year that Mile High Sports allows me to travel to and sends me to. Um, And then fills around the edges from there leading into the playoffs. Fun fact, actually, Colorado Avalanche and Detroit Red Wings. I have not missed a game between the two of them in the city of Detroit since 2007. So 08, 09, 10, 11, 12, and 13. They had two games in Detroit every year because that was when the Red Wings were still in the West and I went to every single one of those, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. We're talking 12 games in six years. Since then, they've played once in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, skip a year because of the shortened season, uh, the divisional format, 22, 23, and now 24. 10 more games. Obviously, these are between Little Caesars Arena and the old classic Joe Louis Arena, that dingy piece of shit that we all loved in Detroit. 22 games between them in a row in the city of Detroit, I have been to. So I obviously wasn't going to miss this one. Little Caesars Arena, by the way, for local fans that have not been to that arena yet, it is spectacular. It is an unbelievable venue. Uh, Definitely worth going out there to watch a hockey game, maybe when the Avs are out there next year. Especially with the Red Wings being good, this was by far... The most exciting atmosphere I've ever seen at Little Caesars Arena between the Avalanche and Red Wings, whether it was the years that I was going as a fan or the years that I was going as a reporter, like I have the last four years. Um, well, take out 2021, but 20, 23, and 24. I've been there four times as a reporter, plus I've been there several times as a fan. Never once seen an atmosphere like this, because as you all know, the Red Wings, after their playoff streak ended at Joe Louis Arena, they have yet to play a playoff game at Little Caesars Arena. They're probably going to do that this year. So we go for morning skate, and Derek Lalonde, the coach of the Red Wings, once the Tampa Bay Lightning's assistant coach, speaks very, very highly of the Red Wings, uh, sorry, of the Avalanche, and of their top guys, and calls it a measuring stick game. And it kind of reminded me a lot of the Avalanche's series against the Seattle Kraken. Because you're talking about a team that doesn't have a big game breaker. <sighs> Shit, it's it's hard to say that because it seems like an insult to Patrick Kane and what he's been doing. But it is a team that's got talent. And honestly, I would take the Red Wings forward core over what the Seattle Kraken had in the postseason last year. Hell, I would take the Red Wings entire roster over what the Seattle Kraken had in the postseason last year. Because you're talking Alex DeBrenkitt, two-time 40-goal scorer. You're talking Patrick Kane, a legend who, you know, you might think is at the end of his career until you uh, look deeper into the numbers and realize this freaking guy is operating at a point-per-game pace. Uh, and we're talking the same Patrick Kane that um, earlier today on, uh, on, on Sunday goes into Chicago in his first game back on Chris Chelios' retirement night and scores the overtime game winner after assisting on the – Game-tying goal with four minutes left in regulation on a pass to Alex DeBrincat who scores the game-tying goal. The two Chicago guys go into Chicago and beat Chicago. Patrick Kane, goal and assist today. Goal and assist against the Blues. He had a goal against the Avalanche, obviously, as we know, in overtime. He had the assist against the Seattle Kraken, and he had a goal and assist against the Calgary Flames. So he's up to eight points in his last five games with four goals. He's up to... 28 points in 27 games 12 goals and 16 assists playing 17:45 a game they're not overplaying him and he is crushing it four game winning goals so you got Patrick Kane doing his thing you got Alex to bring it Dylan Larkin has been stepping up incredibly well um and then you got guys filling around the edges JT Comfer took me this long to to, to mention him and we did speak to him after morning skate he was he was you know The same delightful JT Comfer we've always known him to be. Very very level-headed, very monotone, um, but thoughtful guy when he gives those interviews. Um, And he's excited, by the way, for March 6th, Detroit at Colorado. That's going to be an emotional day for him. So JT Comfer is filling around the edge. Daniel Sprong is on the fourth line. Robbie Fabry is on the fourth line. Those are two guys, Sprong and Fabry, on pace for more than 20 goals this season. Andrew Kopp is in there. Michael Rasmussen is in there. They've got a lot of guys putting up points. David Perron's on their third line. They've got a lot of depth, a lot of skill on that team. On defense, obviously, there are some question marks. Ben Chirot plays a lot. Jeff Petrie plays a lot. But Morvitz is having a great year. Jake Wallman's having a great year. Shane Gostas-Bear has been an incredible revelation for them, and he's really helped their power play a ton. And then in goal, obviously, Alex, freaking lion of all guys, is crushing it probably the best signing of the offseason two years at less than a million per year and he has saved the red Wings season because Ville huso has been terrible and now james reimer is getting more backup time than huso when he's healthy even so this red wings team has depth and it reminds me a lot of the seattle kraken and that's exactly why we saw the avalanche struggle with this team the red wings are a team that no matter what line you throw out onto onto the ice cannot match nathan mckinnon miko Rantanen, and insert name here as their third forward on that line, whether it's Jonathan Drouin or be it Arturi Lekinen, hopefully one day again, it will be Gabriel Landeskog, maybe hopefully again soon in the future, probably more realistic and sooner than Landeskog is Valeri Nichushkin. But either way, the third piece of that line doesn't matter who it is with McKinnon and Rantanen on the ice, the Red Wings have nothing to match up against those guys. So that's number one. But lines two, lines three, and lines four, the Red Wings are the better team. You know, we've seen the Avalanche the last couple of days. Parisi playing with Ryan Johansson and Arturi and obviously with Ann on the top line. Uh, and against the Red Wings, you're seeing them bring out a second line that is a hell of a lot deeper than that. They've had Rasmussen and Raymond playing with JT Comfort. I can't believe I mentioned all those names and did not mention – Lucas Raymond, who's nearly a point per game. He's going to blow past his career numbers this year. He's on pace for the 65 to 70-point mark. On the third line, the Avalanche have Wood, Colton, and O'Connor. The Red Wings, Valeno, Kopp, and Perron. Pretty much a wash there. On the fourth line, this is where it gets tasty. Cogliano, Chris Wagner, because he's now playing ahead of Freddie Olofsson, and Joël Kiviranta. I hate to break it to you guys. I know you guys know this. I hope the Avalanche's front office knows this. A fourth line with Kiviranta and Wagner is not going to win you a Stanley Cup. Andrew Cogliano is the only reasonable player on that line. Going up against Robbie Fabry, on pace for more than 20 goals. Christian Fisher, good depth forward. Daniel Sprong, once again on pace for more than 20 goals and 40 points. The Red Wings are the deeper team. And they showed it. They chipped away at the Avalanche, slowly but surely. The Avalanche, early in the second period, dominated play. Nathan McKinnon, dominating shift after dominating shift after dominating shift, and then a goal. On a nice rush from Jack Johnson, by the way, kudos to him for putting up four points in three games before the game against the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs on Saturday. So the Red Wings start to chip away after the Avalanche dominated early in the second period, and you saw them slowly start to take control. And they started to get the opportunities. And the only reason why the Avalanche only surrendered one goal to the Red Wings in regulation was because of Eustace Ananen playing the game of his life. And I am excited to see Ananen get back in the crease again. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I am excited to see Eustace get back in the crease. Hopefully soon. You know, the Avalanche have the Stars on Tuesday. They are in Chicago Thursday. That sounds like a Eustace Ananen game to me. I'm excited to see him get back in because he damn near single-handedly shut out the Red Wings, especially in the later stages where the Red Wings took complete control in the third period, eventually tying up the game. They had the Avalanche pinned in their zone for an entire power play and could not convert in the second period. In the third period, they had the Avalanche pinned in their zone for a shift that went so well for them. Kale McCarr clocked in at 2 minutes and 37 seconds. In a shift where he was pinned in the zone without a whistle anywhere in those 237. The Red Wings kept pushing and pressing and pressing. They eventually get the game-tying goal with roughly eight minutes left in the regulation. You get to overtime. You're going back and forth. Dylan Larkin and Patrick Kane do their thing. Game set and match for the Detroit Red Wings. Defeating the Colorado Avalanche for the first time in 10 meetings. And defeating the Colorado Avalanche for the first time in not only at Little Caesars Arena, but in the Little Caesars Arena era. The last time the Detroit Red Wings beat the Colorado Avalanche. And I remember this game vividly because I was there, obviously, as a fan. It was a 1 p.m. Saturday game. The last time those two teams ever faced off at Joe Louis Arena. The Detroit Red Wings beat the Avalanche 5-1 to that night, that day. That was the last time they had beaten the Avalanche in 10 meetings until this game. So now the Avs come home. They're, you know, feeling down on themselves. They go back on the road. They lose another one. They drop to 13, 13, and five on the road. But have no fear, ball arena. This is where we win games. This is where we are the best team in the NHL, and this is where we're going to come back and beat another good team just like we did Vancouver. That's got to be the thought the Avalanche had. 22-5 and at Ball Arena, 13-1 in their final 14 games, heading into that game against the Leafs at home at Ball Arena. Puck drops. Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Miko Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, all on the ice. And just a couple minutes into the game, the Avalanche not only draw a power play— draw a penalty obviously a delayed game so they didn't really draw much they just saw a boneheaded pl- player shoot the puck over the glass and they get a power play goal nathan mckinnon on a beautiful fake shot off the setup from Kyle mccarr he fakes the shot from the circle where mckinnon scores a lot of one-timers and instead sends it right to the crease where arturi lekin is there to tip it in past Ilya samsonov to make it one nothing for the avalanche a few minutes later, Nathan McKinnon blows past Morgan Riley, clocks in at 22 miles per hour all the way into the zone, gets right up by the net, shoots a pass to the trailing Andrew Cagliano who fires it past Samson off to give the avalanche a 2 or nothing lead. It's looking like the ball arena avalanche are back. Then the Leafs start to kind of get back into the game. They end up adding one goal. Then they add a second goal. Then they add a third goal. The Avalanche are trailing three to two. We're in the third period. Miko Rantanen at the point. Miko Rantanen, who against the Detroit Red Wings did not have a shot on goal, that Miko Rantanen fires a shot from the blue line on a shift where the Avalanche were dominating play and scores to make it three to three. It's a tie game. Five minutes into the third period. And you keep on going, you keep on going, you keep on going. Miko Ranen, the same guy who looked like a hero, lived long enough to become the villain because he takes a delay-a-game penalty. Toronto Maple Leafs' hot power play comes back out and scores again. The game ends with at least two 2-for-2 two on the power play. The game ends with the Avalanche 1-for-1 one one on the power play. Three power plays, three power play goals. The difference was the Red Wings had one more than the Avalanche, and that was the difference. At even strength... They each scored two goals. On the power play, the Leafs made do with both their chances. The Avalanche only had one chance and only scored that one time. They did not have a second chance. So now what looked like a stretch in the month of February where you were winning every time you were on home ice and struggling every time you were on the road is now a sour taste in your mouth because there are no moral victories anymore. You're down to the final 23 games of the regular season. 23 games to really get your playoff footing, to get that positioning in the playoffs and in those 23 games you've got to figure out this lineup. You have got to freaking figure out this lineup. The Avalanche don't have a Stanley Cup lineup as it currently stands. Would it be easy to fix this? Yes. It's going to take a little bit of luck. You're going to have to make some moves at the deadline. I've been saying this over and over again. Like the 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 pressure is on Chris McFarland. And it took me almost two years to be that guy, but I'm starting to question Chris McFarland and his ability to make the deal, to close the deal. I talked about this on the podcast about a week or two ago with J.J. Jerez, two weeks ago to be exact. Chris McFarland's got to close those deals. I thought, Sean, I thought Sean Monahan would be the guy. He obviously went to Winnipeg. He cost a first-round draft pick. Say so you better kiss a first-round draft pick goodbye. Just like he did for Darcy Kemper, you better expect that first-round pick... Will be on the way out for the Avalanche to bring in any centerman. I don't care if it's Adam Henrique. Adam Henrique sounds like a reasonable option to me, honestly. He's on pace for 55 points, he's on pace for 22 goals. That's a very reasonable second line center. Tommy Novak would also make a lot of sense out of Nashville. Uh, I know uh, the Avalanche, Elliot Friedman connected them to some guys in Arizona, Alexander Kerfoot, Nick Bukestad, whatever it may be. If you're going to do something like Bukestad or Kerfoot, that's because you're expecting to put Colton on the second line, Bukestad slash Kerfoot on the third line. But you're also bringing another top winger to replace Druen and really stack up on the wing if you're going to be you know, rolling with Colton at line two center. So... That's number one. The Avalanche have to make trades. They have to bring in a player or two or three. Who the hell knows? But other than that, you need Val Nichushkin back in the lineup. I did see Val Nichushkin today in Denver walking around with his wife and kid. Uh, Did not bother him. But Val Nichushkin is here. He's in town. I hope he's seeking the help he needs. I hope he's getting the help he needs. But on the ice, this team needs him. And I hope... He's seeking the help and getting the help he needs enough to get back into this lineup because the team needs him. Parisi and Johansson playing with Lekanen? No. It's got to be a new second-line center and Val Just the addition of Val would make this team better. But the addition of Val Nachushkin and a trade, like, I don't know, Johansson and a first for Henrique for gosh sakes, or something crazy like that? Just a deal like that. And turning Parisi and Johansson into Nachushkin and Henrique. Now you got a second line. Now you're not a one-line team. You do that, you got Wood, Colton, and O'Connor on the third line. Do I think Wood, Colton, and O'Connor on the third line are enough to win a Stanley Cup? Yes, if the fourth line gets more help. Cagliano's on the fourth line. I guess Zach Parisi would then be on the fourth line. But you need a better fourth line center. This doesn't even take into account that there's this wild card in Nikolai Kovalenko, who's expected to come over from the KHL when that season ends. And I was looking at some dates around their schedule uh, in the KHL. The first round of the postseason ends around March 15. The second round of the postseason—sorry, last year, I should say. Last season, the first round of the postseason ended around March 15. The second round ended around March 29. Third round ended around April 12th. Fourth round ended, obviously that's the championship, the Gagarin Cup final, ended April 29th. So what that says to me is the team that Kovalenko on is on Torpedo. They're, they're a pretty decent team. They're, you know, among the playoff teams, kind of like a third, fourth, fifth in their conference, division, whatever the hell they call it in the KHL. Obviously, I am not a KHL guy. But... Torpedo is one of those middling teams that maybe they go far, maybe they don't. Last year, they went to the second round. They were done by March 28th. So the regular season this year for the Avalanche goes until April 18th. So as long as Kovalenko's team doesn't make the Gagarin Cup final, he will be in Denver, likely signed a contract, and on this team practicing, probably getting a game or two before the end of the regular season. If he doesn't make it to the third round, the final four, He'll be in Denver by April 1st, most likely. If he's out in the first round, guys, he'll be in Denver about a week after the trade deadline, most likely, going off of last year's schedule. So we're getting real soon, real close to this wild card coming back to the avalanche. Or not back, but coming to the avalanche in Kovalenko. What's he going to bring? Who the hell knows? Then there's also the even bigger wild card, Gabriel Landeskog. Best case scenario, Landeskog, Kovalenko, Nichushkin, and an acquisition of an Adam Henrique type centerman, that's four guys in your lineup. Four guys in your lineup doesn't just mean four impact players, it means four current guys are sitting. So you're talking Wagner, you're talking Kiviranta, Ranta, you're talking Johansson, you're talking Parisi. All sitting to make space for four guys. Landis Gog obviously is the tough one to gauge. You know, he had that surgery on May 10, 2023, and Chris McFarlane had said earlier, uh, Earlier this year, earlier in the calendar year, 2024, he he told Frank Valley that his timeline that he was given for Landeskog on the day of the surgery was 12 to 16 months. 12 months puts you around May 10th of this year. 16 months puts you around, you know, a couple weeks before the start of training camp, around the time when the captain skates start. I'm really hoping Gabriel Landeskog in a year from now is... 50 games into his uh, 24-25 season with like 44 points and we're all pretending that nothing happened. Like we look back at these last two years he missed and say, remember when we thought his career was over. How nice would that be to be in that kind of a place a year from today? Who the hell knows? But even if you take Landeskog out of the picture, even if that's the case, getting Nachushkin here, getting Kovalenko here, sorry, getting Nachushkin back, getting Kovalenko here, and trading for a second line center, that alone makes this an incredible team, because then you have Drew and McKinnon, Rantanen, you have nichushkin Henrik, Lekkinen, and you can allocate those top six however the hell you want to. Third line, something like Wood, Colton, and let's say Kovalenko, just for shits and giggles. I know it'll probably be O'Connor. And then your fourth line, you have Cogliano, you have O'Connor, and then you know Kivi Ranta or, or or or. uh Obviously, Cagliano, O'Connor, Kiviranta, nobody there is playing center. You're trading for a fourth-line center. You're playing all of Sin. You're doing something like that. You suddenly have a better team. Kovalenko is the type of guy that I can see playing in a line two, line three role when he gets here and then either working his way up to the top line, hell, maybe with McKinnon and Ranton in a place of Druan if all goes well, or he's not fitting in and not meshing. He's playing on the fourth line or he's a healthy scratch and you know what, we'll try again at training camp and getting this guy acclimated to the NHL. So I don't know where it's going to go there, but the Avalanche got to fix this roster. This is very reminiscent to last year where the entire year you're saying, well, if this and if this and if this and if this, then they'll have a good team. And we saw in the playoffs last year, it was the first time all year outside of Landeskog that everybody was healthy and ready to play. And funny enough, Jack Johnson takes Morning Skate in game one against Seattle and then ends up sitting for an Eric Johnson, who was going to be a healthy scratch. But regardless, we're still going to pretend Jack Johnson was healthy or maybe Eric Johnson was number six. Regardless, we're going to pretend the Avalanche had a fully healthy lineup outside of Landeskog. Josh Manson barely lasts. Darren Helm barely lasts. They're both on, back on the, on the shelf. Val Nachushkin, we all know what happened in Seattle. Suddenly, the team is reeling once again. They're once again struggling for depth. You need another scenario like that this year. You need Druin, McKinnon, Rantanen, Parisi, Johansson, Lekkinen, Wood, Colton, O'Connor, Cagliano, Wagner, Kiviranta. What the fuck is this forward core? Game one of the playoffs, you need Natchushkin back. You need Kovalenko in there somewhere. You need another fourth-line center. Wagner's not going to cut it. Neither is Freddie Olofsson. And most importantly, you got to trade for a second-line center. Adam Henrique, Tommy Novak, somebody. Bring in a guy to play center with Nichushkin and Lekanen. And undo the mistake you made by letting Nazem Kadri walk. Get this roster figured out. Because what we saw against the Toronto Maple Leafs, a team that also has forward depth, a team that also has four lines that can score, and what we saw against the Colorado Aval- or against the Detroit Red Wings, a team with four lines, a team that has depth, a team that also grinded you down throughout the sixty minutes. Eventually, the numbers game of their depth versus your depth ended up winning and trumping the, the, you know the Avalanche's th- second, third, and fourth line. You got to plan for that in the playoffs because that's what you're gonna get. That's what you got against the Seattle Kraken, and that's what you're gonna get again. So that's it for me. Again, it is uh, Sunday, February 25th. It is the evening. The Avalanche are scheduled to practice at Family Sports. Monday morning, I believe, at 11 a.m. Tuesday, they got morning skate at 10.30 in the morning at Ball Arena. I will be there to cover both the practice and the morning skate before facing off against the Dallas Stars. I will be there for that as well. 7.30 p.m. Tuesday, February 27th. It will be the last home game until Monday, March 4th against the Chicago Blackhawks. Monday, March 6th against the Red Wings sorry Wednesday March 6th against the Red Wings and then Friday March 8th against the Minnesota Wild trade deadline day you are six games away sorry five games away because the sixth game will be played the evening of trade deadline day you are five games away from the trade deadline so we're going to see some changes here this is Erev Dean of Mile High Sports you're listening to Hockey Mountain High your go-to avalanche podcast thank you all for listening Please don't forget to go on to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave a five-star review and share some comments on why you love the show. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone, and we out, you.